0: Welcome to the Sharon Salzberg Meta Hour. This podcast is a reflection of Sharon's very clear and profound vision of the heart-mind path. If you are interested in supporting Sharon's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Sharon.
1: No, 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 I have a house. Oh, but do you have a TV in the house? Yeah. I don't know why I'm shocked. I shouldn't be. <laughs> I, I think I've made you to be this sort of austere figure. It's so unfair. Um, are you <laughs> um, there's uh, Dr. Johnson, you know, the, Dr. Johnson, the great 18th century moralist sort of famously said, um, when a man is tired of London, he's tired of life. For there is in London all that life affords. That he's a man of the city. Um, do, do you feel that way? Yes. I'm suspicious of people who don't want to live here. And I know everyone doesn't... <laughs> I, mean, why? I, I, I truly don't understand why. And I, and I know not everyone is me. Thank God. Um, and, and I know different people like different things, and that's all fine. But I go, well, yeah, but what would you do without film form? I'm like, well, where do, you, where do you go to the theater? You know? So don't you miss all that when you're... But you see, so you have it here. But why, do, why doesn't everyone want to live here? <laughs> why do they hate us? <laughs>
2: I actually experienced tremendous kindness here as well. I know people think that. Why do you sound surprised? Like,
1: of course, you're experiencing oh,
2: well, kindness here. Because the We're rap. N- look at these know. people. These are nice people. They're such so nice people. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see them that well, but. Well, <laughs> no, they're not. They're not that nice. Um. No, but you know how everyone, uh, the rap is that New York is so cynical and remorseless, and you know it's going to grind you down, and uh, you know. It's a dog-eat-dog world, and people step all over you. But I experienced tremendous kindness here. Yeah, me too. Um, Can you think of a particular example? Well, like just, uh, you know, uh, when I moved to my friend's apartment on 9th Street and 5th Avenue, I had a dormant for the first time in my life. (laughs) You know, yes. And, and, uh, you know, I was obviously kind of lost. I was here for the first time in years and years and years. And... Uh, and just the way they take care of me or the way they go out of their way
1: to, you know, mm-hmm. make sure it was okay. And I experienced that all the time. Oh, yeah. People... I think also people like... Um, when they know something you don't know, and people are very generous with their knowledge. If you just have the courage to ask them, um, except for the people who panic and, and don't actually know how, how to get to that store but will tell you anyway, um, and, and you're 20 blocks before you realize they didn't know anything. They couldn't just say... people. Do you find that to be so? People can't say I don't know.
2: Uh, Well, it's kind of a minor thing in my mind because I remember I lived in India for a few years, where it's really a pronounced characteristic. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah. It's like it would be very shameful to say you didn't know. So it's better to give wrong information. Every moment, (laughs) 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 any moment of the day. Yeah, 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 because you would lose a lot. You know, you would lose face. Or, or self yeah, 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 but yeah. then
1: but why don't you lose face two minutes later when you've sent someone in the wrong direction? Because you don't see them again. <laughs> oh, really? Right. Of course, you sent them off a cliff yeah, yeah. of some kind. Yeah. yeah they're walking um, and walking and walking and um,
2: walking and walking. walking, walking wow.
1: I didn't know that was a particularly Indian yeah. um, thing. It's, I think of it as a New York thing or a, a me thing because I panicked. <laughs> um, uh, my my favorite book about your block. Um, do you know this um, William Dean Howells, who used to be the was I guess the first editor of the Atlantic Monthly, um, and he wrote a book called The Hazard of New Fortune. He wrote this book in 1890, and it's about this um, uh, this literary family from Boston, which is a literary city, comes to New York, a commercial city, to work at this new technology thing, a magazine. Whoa! I, I know it's crazy. Um, and and. Uh, they they're trying to look for an apartment in your neighborhood. Really? And yeah. It's oh, it's this is a wonderful book, and and they can't find an apartment because no one can even in 1890. Um, but um, and they're exhausted from walking around the village looking for apartments, and they sit down in Washington Square Park, mm-hmm. and and they're struck by the um, incredibly exotic immigrants that seem to be also having their lunch there because they're from Italy. Mm. <laughs> Great book. You should all, well, not write this minute, but go out later and, and, and read it. Um, so, you're, do, do you figure you'll always have a foot in both places?
2: You know, it's a little hard to think about always, uh, but... Um, do you think you'll often? Now, that isn't the right <laughs> I mean, for the foreseeable future, that's how I imagine my life, yeah. I mean, well, I vote in Massachusetts, so...
1: I'm a resident there. Oh, it doesn't matter. There. Here, there, we're right there, we're <laughs> wrong. It's so upsetting. Now I'm too depressed to go on. Um, uh, <laughs> as long as, yeah, I know, but yeah. All right, well, now, uh, now I feel horrible. Um, <laughs> allow me my self-deception. For, Let's think about Washington Square Park. It's so beautiful. Aside. You know, there's a lot of Italian immigrants there, um, and they're wonderful. So, Sharon, mm-hmm. um, what's your thing? My thing is
2: actually the Statue of Liberty, um, which... It's like recognition applause
1: when you mention a celebrity.
2: Well, some people know also because that book I was writing when I moved to Ninth Street and 5th Avenue has a whole section on the Statue of Liberty. Um, Because in Hinduism, um, where there's, you know, like a pantheon of deities, Mm. you sort of have your own special inspiration you know like maybe and they're all different you know maybe they're like mischievous or scholarly or musical or something and that is like the central figure in you're thinking about who do I want to be and or how do I want to manifest in this world so for me oddly enough it's the Statue of Liberty. Yeah the Statue of
1: Liberty is fabulous. It's fabulous you um, know but- uh, we, we were talking earlier, the one regret I had about it is uh, you were speaking about how the statues manifested also in on, on many ashtrays and um, hideous tchotchkes um, and, and that it seemed a, a downside of, of the decline of smoking that it's, it's been a sad loss to the ashtray industry and a chance to see um, crappy versions. But you brought a, a more elegant version, I think, I for the show and tell portion. Do you want to show them? Sure.
2: Well, I said um, I do have many... Uh, I think of the Statue of Liberty or I see a depiction of the Statue of Liberty, however schlocky, and I'm, I feel this thrill go through my body. And I actually do have uh, lots of little green things, you know, like eraser heads and tchotchkes. I do. And my uh, current sublet um, close to here is on the second floor of this building facing Fifth Avenue. And so when double-decker buses go by, we're kind of on the same level. And I thought I saw an ad for a six-foot-tall Statue of Liberty, and mm. I thought for a moment of getting it <laughs> and putting it, it like right in the window, so it's like there. But it's right. like a little studio apartment would be like having a roommate. Um, <laughs> this is something a friend bought me. She bought it on the street uh, from. Uh, a homeless woman who had painted it, um, and it says, "We love the Statue of Liberty. There are still some good people living in this world." Oh. And I took it off my wall
1: just to. It's it wonderful because uh, I thought I was sort of preparing for you to bring kitsch, and it's I know, not kitsch I was, at all. I was it's just, just moving. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Is there um, a particular aspect of the Statue of Liberty that? You're thinking of when when you put her in the pantheon yeah well
2: it's you know it's the welcome you know those of you who feel you belong nowhere, you have a home, you know you you're the wretched, you know like uh you know, i just I felt like that's like being enfolded
1: in somebody loves you somewhere, and it's me that's the statue of yeah liberty. we will yeah um it's it seems to me that also. Unlike the flag, which gets co opted for uh, different political perspectives, especially for, for a long time, like all through the Vietnam era, uh, the flag was associated with the right. And just show an American flag that you were somehow in favor of the Vietnam War. I, I don't think that's true of the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Do, do you? Does anyone, is there, has anyone co opted it in that way? Um, not politically, um, commercially, yes. Um, it, Pretty much anybody who sells anything has, has exploited the Statue of Liberty, which in a way humanizes her. Um, and I checked it up. The, the first one I could find was, um, she, you know, it's always replacing the torch. There was one in 1890. I mean, it only went in in 1886. In 1890, there's an ad for the Statue of Liberty holding up a spool of silk thread, <laughs> apparently very good silk thread. But she's held seven up. <laughs> of um, uh ice cream cones of every kind of crappy ice cream, um, um, uh, glasses of beer, name your beer. Um, but somehow I don't mind you. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You think we should have a um, keep your hands off her?
2: No, I just you know uh, it, it isn't quite the unconditionally loving message it's like (laughs) buy this beer you know? No it's
1: not Um, it is I guess implicitly dismissing another beer, an inferior beer we don't want that beer (laughs) Um, well you know the the official name, the actual name, Liberty Enlightening the World, right? Designed by Frederick Bartoldi, who did the Eiffel Tower, right? Hmm. Right? Come on this is an educated crowd, right? Didn't Bartoldi do that? Um, uh, Built by Gustav Eiffel and and you know when it, f- the French sent it here. A lovely gift. A lovely gift, by the way. Um, but by the, there was no pedestal. Does everyone know this story? No. You don't know this story? No. i just. I just oh. love her. I don't really. Oh. Really study. <laughs> well, let her. me tell you something about. No, she's great. We all. Yeah. Are, but so there was no pedestal, and and she was for the first few years. Um, we had nowhere to put her. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was in pieces in Madison Square Park
2: mm. that you could
1: go, and, you know, the torch the, uh, was there and you could go up the steps, up the arm, in, into the torch, but it's only, like, you know, 25 feet high. Uh, and um, so this fundraising drive organized by um, Joseph Pulitzer um, when he had the, his, his newspaper, and they raised um, $120,000, which was a lot of money in 1886, uh, and, and almost no contributions for more than a dollar. Oh, so nice. That's pretty statural, Liberty. That's pretty nice. So they raise this money, and they put the pedestal on. Oh. We did that. But in a way, it seems like, oh, the French. They're so chintzy. They send you the statue with no place to put it. <laughs> it's like when people give you a print, and and but they don't frame it. You sort of think, oh, what jerks. You know, that <laughs> Am I just ungrateful? Because a present shouldn't be more work for you. I, well, I agree with that, but you know, there's
2: that whole theory that you have to invest, you have to participate, otherwise, you don't oh. appreciate it, you know, as much as you would, oh. where you know the sweat of your brow or
1: your own labors. Oh, that's very good. So involved. instead of thinking of the French as jerks, I guess what I meant is the French, those psychologically astute. That's people. right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's what I meant. Um, um, oh, this was one of the things I like about the statue very much. Is it's It seems. Um, as untrumpian as a thing can be um, that it's it's welcoming um, it's cosmopolitan it, it, it mm-hmm. ties uh, us together with Europe um, it relies on um, ordinary people to to it embraces immigrant life um, it, it seems like everything we're on on the verge of losing is in her mm-hmm. yeah
2: Uh well, I don't like to think of it on the verge of as being on the verge of losing, you know.
0: I'll but handle the weak despair.
2: I you I'll handle the with you. Tell, help me, but I, I uh, it's threatened. It's clearly threatened, you know. So uh, to pretend that it's not would be really folly. But um, on the verge of losing may also be up to each one of us,
1: you know. Do you find the people as long as I've taken us down this? dark alley Um, in the the days since the elections it changed late people have come to you do they want different things from meditation that they wanted two weeks ago
2: yes Uh, I mean in some ways yes and no you know the no is uh, people have always sought a sense of perspective and not to be defined by the current circumstance they find themselves in so they want you could say it in different ways something deeper or something bigger you know that they can feel genuinely connected to, you know, not make-believe, but genuinely connected to so that the circumstances they're in, uh, whatever it might be, um, are not, it's kind of sealing off all sense of possibility, you know, it's not really defining the sum total of who they are or what they're capable of. People have always wanted that, you know, whether it's because of their, you know, aging parent or their child or their brother or their job or their, you know, crazy mind, which, uh, you know, so restless or whatever, um, or their physical condition, um, that's, I think, for all time. But uh, I think there is, you know, at least the people I've seen, you know, clearly a level of despair. And um, somebody, I was just in uh, California, and somebody said it really well, I think, uh, in this gathering I had, she said, I don't see a way to be um, coming from a place of love and compassion, which is my biggest value in life, and to be taking action, like to be taking strong action. They seem completely antithetical to me. And they don't seem completely antithetical at all to me.
1: No, and they wouldn't have to Dr. King either. Yeah, that's right. That's right. militant political action was an expression for, from his perspective of his Christian faith and Absolutely. it was a loving action. Absolutely. And it was a pacifist action. Yes, that's right. Right? That's right. So I hope you set this person straight. Well, I... Do you right. smack him? <laughs> you ever that kind of... Thing?
2: Just go... No, I feel like so nice. Uh, I, I said... I, I mean, I... you know, smack
1: I, him in search of a... You know, in, in pursuit yeah, of yeah, a yeah. greater wisdom.
2: Yeah, well, smack it's like, him. you know, like our mutual friend was saying, fierce compassion, you know, like... Uh, They don't seem antithetical at all to me. Which is not to say it's easy to find, you know, this week, um, the expression of one's action quite yet. You know, I don't know what. That's one of the things that
1: plunges me into despair. Is um, I don't know what to do, and to feel passive is is, is a horrible feeling. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how to act.
2: I mean, I think that will come as uh, we're together and working out actions and things like that, but I think that commitment to um, one's greatest values, however you express that, you know, so that it's not having the suffering define you, you know, and it's not just getting bitter and, and callous and hateful
1: and and especially not being driven by fear, which has certainly gone around. I'm a fan of fear, I have to say. I think fear is my friend. That, that fear gets me to like run away from things I should run away oh, yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fear gets me to um, think about, well, I, I, I have to do something about something. I think fear is very good for us. Yes. Fear has stopped me from doing things that I was, in, in retrospect, and by retrospect I mean 10 seconds, um, wise not to do <coughs> You don't like fear? No, no. In the great Buddhist tradition
2: of being uh, excruciatingly precise (laughs) about the use of language, you know, enough to drive a person crazy, um, there are different kinds of fear. Okay. You know, there is wise fear and appropriate fear. And then there's the fear which just um, is so consuming that we don't, we're paralyzed. Like We Uh don't see any options, you know. And and so it's just being stuck and, and we collapse. And so... Uh, or, are, I mean, I, I often say about myself in terms of things I've seen about my own mind in meditation that I, unlike the kind of common saying that we're afraid of the unknown, I actually, looking at my own fear, I'm really mostly afraid when I think I do know and it's going to be really bad. <laughs> and it's the oh, stories yeah. I tell myself. Oh, that's and that when I remind myself I don't know and it's like I feel relief. I think, wow, I don't know. There's There's space. Right,
1: ignorance mm. offers possibilities that knowledge <laughs> forecloses. Like if a... it's actually knowledge and not. Darn it, just... <laughs> there's always a catch. Um, uh, so I, I would be wrong then to think of uh, meditation as, as conservative in the political sense, that it's not teaching people to accommodate themselves to um, unpleasant circumstances, it's giving them the clarity of mind to, re- to respond to them actively. Yeah, I think. Well, I've got to write I... some letters of apology. <laughs> <laughs> just some we, can, we can talk
2: if you want. <laughs> I mean, it's my world. Uh,
1: you know, I think
2: the I and I understand the other point of view in that the language that's used, and it's not inaccurate. It's just um, the conventional association with those words would lead one to think meditation is very passive, and uh, you know, like med mindfulness means uh, accepting things in the way that they are, or being with your experience without judging. So it does sound like you're a doormat, really.
1: Um, yes. I, I don't like to say doormat. Doormat is, can be such a pejorative term. But well, yeah. it sounds like that. Yeah.
2: You know, but it's, it's not meant to be that. It, it means a more dynamic, creative relationship to what is rather than having so many old habits come in so quickly to distort that relationship.
1: So, in that sense, not so different from what a really good psychiatrist might want to do—to make you not a prisoner of your past. That no, you slightly—you you don't want to buy this.
2: Uh, no, I, 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 I can buy it. Although I'm, you know, I'm not a really good psychiatrist, so uh, or a psychiatrist at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when the cops find out. <laughs> but. Uh, um, I think that is definitely part of it. It's not just not being a prisoner of your past. It's not being a prisoner of other influences, like some very strident cultural um, interpretations of things. Not being a prisoner of your assumptions when you meet a stranger. Uh, And not being a prisoner of some of the kind of uniform uh, delusions, really, like... Uh, that we are so separate, that we don't live in an interdependent universe. We don't need anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, there are lots of ways, I think, the structures of society are created around certain delusions, (laughs) you know? And so you have to look pretty deeply to
1: work through that. Um, I thought we might end with... um, Well, before we take some questions from the audience, with... um, the, the Emma Lazarus poem that's inscribed um, that she wrote for the uh, Statue of Liberty, um, it's, you know, as, as we know, it's called The New Colossus. And, and did you know she didn't want to write it? Um, they offered her the job. I don't know, I don't know who... Someone called her, uh, do you want to write the, well oh, I guess they didn't do this then. Uh, do, you, do you want to write this poem? And she, she said, I can't write a poem for a statue. She uh-huh. didn't want to write for anything in Anna, but she thought about it for a while, um, and she did write something. I, would you read it? Sure, now I'll cry.
2: <laughs> Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land, Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient land, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest tossed, to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door.
1: Please join me in thanking Sharon Salter. Thank you. Thank you. you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Well, we'll happily take some questions. I think Tim will explain our procedure.
3: First of all, the house lights come up. You see? It actually happened. There you are. And then we have microphones on either side of the house. So if you have a question, just raise your hand, and we'll get those microphones to you in in good order. But I just want to um, thank you on behalf of the Ruben, both of you, Randy and Sharon, for uh, engaging uh, so cogently on the things (coughs) that matter using the person and the place and the thing as, as a conduit to help us understand how things actually work. And you guys were awesome. Thank you so much. Um, in your conversation, there were a few key words that came up, and one of them was transformational. And uh, it so happens... And the other one was gift, right? So there were the two, two themes there. And so we thought we'd combine those two words into one object, one thing, which is the very first catalogue of the Rubin Museum of Art called Worlds of Transformation, which we want to make a gift to you. So, and this is how this works. There are three of them, and so the chances are quite considerable. And all you need to do... <laughs> is fill out the back of this card in a sort of cursory way. I mean, email is fine. And uh, then uh, we will collect all these cards at the end of the Q&A, give them to Randy, who, being a gambler by nature, will shuffle them like crazy, and, and then Sharon will pick the three winning cards out mm. of that particular pack. Does that sound like fun or torture? I don't know, <laughs> but that's what we're going to do. So, um, and then, you know, during the Q&A, you can pass them to the sides. But in the meantime, who would like to ask a question of either Randy or Sharon about... Yes, we've got a question right here in the first row. Thank you, Joyce.
0: Hi. um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to... One of the things that I found most heartbreaking in the whole election was the fact that there was such suffering, even the primaries, that would lead so many people to vote for someone who clearly does not have their best interests at, at heart. And so what I've been really wondering, and I noticed that Van Jones did some really amazing conversations between Trump supporters and Hillary supporters and Bernie supporters, where people found that their interests weren't so different once they got behind the labels. So what I've been really wondering a lot about is in a culture that seems so siloed and so disconnected from urban and rural and from oh, all these different ways that we define ourselves and yet we come together with something like the idea of the Statue of Liberty. Are there ways in which either of you could speak to that possibility that we could reconnect with those deeper values that, that we ultimately, I believe, really do share together?
1: <laughs> I, I, I have no comfort to offer you of any kind. Um, I don't mean to be gloomy about it, but I just think it's unbelievably awful, and it's only going to get worse. And, and it's and, and for for four years, and and worse in ways that that's going to make life uh, just un- unspeakably uh, dreadful for our children. He's going to appoint these crackpots to the Supreme Court. They're, you know, they're all like nineteen years old. They're going to be holding those judgeships for fifty years. Uh, the, the, I, I, I'm just stammering and super proud and that's one of the reasons I feel bad is that it's not like something just truly tragic has happened, like the death of a parent where you can somehow find it in, in, in you to go on. Um, today was just like yesterday, um, except for you know the three crackpots he's already naming. Um, um, but he, he will continue to act in ways that makes our lives worse and worse. And I don't know how to begin to take action yet. And and, and I hope more, I think this is a political question as as much as, if you'll forgive me, as a a question about our our inner development. Um, And and I look to people more politically savvy than I am to, to give me ways to act.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, like I said, when we were talking just now, I think those ways to act will appear because there are people far more politically savvy than I who keep telling me they're, you know, they're, it's happening, it's bubbling up, it's, you know, it's local, it's gonna be, you know, very community-oriented. I don't know yet either, but um, I think part of what you're saying, um, I'm not as optimistic as you, or I don't have exactly the same vision that you said. I think to the extent that people feel they know people with very differing views, with whom there has been no communication, and that there can be communication, that's obviously a good thing. You know that, that not, be, I don't. I don't think it is,
1: frankly. You know. Um, no, I don't. Um, I, I think we're right and they're wrong. and, and oh, uh, I agree. <laughs> um, and, and that um, politics, for me, is not so much about persuading your political rival. I mean, treat people with courtesy and respect. It's kind of. Um, but you have the privacy of your own thoughts. Um, uh, but but uh, politics is about organizing those with fellow feeling, not about persuading those Yeah, who, no, no, I If someone's some horrible racist anti-Semite, and by the way, he should fill out an application for the, a job because they're hiring, um, you're not going to persuade that person. Um, you're, I don't want to have them over to my house for dinner. I want to make sure they have no political power. I want to beat that person. I mean, you know, politically. Yeah,
2: I agree with that. Actually, you know. uh, Well, I'm not surprised. I like you you too. (laughs) We we haven't met met before. Uh, I I wouldn't say that conversation is for the sake of persuading, uh, but for the sake of of really understanding. And you know, there are lots of layers. I think to people who vote either way. Uh, You know, look at the media and look at what people are saturated with all the time and what they believe. And um you know, I don't think any effort toward understanding precludes a need toward action. And I think no, you're it's right. gonna Tired be verdict. really interesting times, you know, like what I've said I was just in, in California, a couple of different places and what I kept saying is, you know, I grew up as you know, in a Jewish family in Washington Heights. And uh, there was so much conversation about people who protected Jews in the Holocaust. And people, you know, uh, was it like the um, king of Denmark
1: or somebody who went and got yeah. the yellow well, star sun? Yeah, this and, everyone in, and in Copenhagen wore that star.
2: You know, and I thought, okay, Muslim registry, can I do it? Will I do it? And I thought, yeah, I think we all have to do it. You know.
1: Yeah, we all have to do it, but the idea is to, to
2: live in a country where no one has to do it. Oh, but given current circumstances, yeah, you said... So- I
1: don't have fantasies. I, I'm essentially a coward, and I don't have fantasies that all act heroically. Um, I lack all physical courage. Um, fear, <laughs> and remember, fear is That my
2: may be why we um, have one another, um, you know?
1: If you, all- if
2: you had to register with... 10 million
1: other people, it would be easier, right? Yeah, I
2: would do the right thing, but I would feel horrible
1: determined. doing it. And I would, you know, I'd, uh, uh, that, that the idea is to avoid this.
2: Well, I agree. No, I but know, of course you agree, I know. One of the great things about meditation practice is that it points you to how things actually are, <laughs> which is so eloquently described before, you know, yeah. before we got to understanding, like, I think things are really bad. I think they're going to get a lot worse. I think a lot will be asked of us as individuals, um, which we will meet in the moment or not. Um, And uh, I can get very dystopian, which I won't on this stage, uh, (laughs) because uh, every time I do, somebody comes back with a more hopeful perspective, and I think, okay, well, how do I know? I don't know. See, I don't know.
3: No need to be afraid. I don't know. All right. I think we need to take Randy on a tour of the museum and introduce (laughs) him to uh, the Tibetan female deity, of course, Green Tara, who, of course, is the protectress against the eight fears. And the eight fears, as you all know, are really very current and topical ones like being trampled by wild elephants and, <laughs> and, and being mauled by wild lions, etc. Um, but she has a mantra which I believe was borrowed by a previous um, legitimately elected president um, uh, who said the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And, it, you know, you refer to that in this um, conversation yes, about here. fear being a paralyzing... Uh, condition, and her job is to help you understand that ig- fear is born out of a form of ignorance, and ignorance is the major limitation for you to advancing in any way, shape, or form through this life so Randy we 'll take you on a personal All tour right. and, and you may well find yourself being transformed <laughs> as a result of that that 's our job here at the room and then and we can keep, you keep coming back and
2: we keep checking in how.
1: How are you feeling? Uh, this is great. I could, I've
3: never been a research subject before.
1: <laughs> I like it.
3: Um, and then I just recommend you do check out that uh, video from Wednesday, November the 9th, with Alan Burston, who referenced James Baldwin's uh, quote, um, which I would, can only paraphrase right now. But he questioned, why is it that people seem to need to hold on to their hatred so vehemently is it because if they let it go, they'll have to confront their own pain? And so there are layers, and I think you can better fight the good fight mm-hmm. if you have empathy and understand where oh, your so-called opponent is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's, that's, I think, our job. Okay, next question. Yes, also in the front row. Gosh, these front rows are doing well. Okay, you guys in the back, you better shape up. Yeah. <laughs>
4: My question is for Sharon. Um, I've been meditating for many years, but I find in the last couple of weeks that I have such a sense of literal pain in my heart and chest and a sense of contraction that I'm not being skillful at finding a way to find a deeper peace or inspiration, or wisdom, and what, as a technique, for people who have some notion of meditation, and I've, I've read your books and appreciated mm-hmm. them, but I'm, I am feel really stuck, mm-hmm. and it feels so intense, and I feel the vulnerability is, it has reignited places in my own life when I yeah. literally was vulnerable, yeah. and then I magnify that and think, I'm hardly vulnerable at all in reality in yes, this moment compared to mm-hmm. all the people you're thinking about, and we're all talk, and that that woman you know that Emma Lazarus wrote about so beautifully, whom we seem to be saying we don't want to be that anymore.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I think my goodness, my anxiety is nothing, and yet I feel stuck. And really, <laughs> um, what how what what can I do? How can I get? Relief in some of my body, mm-hmm. so that I might be able to more access mm-hmm. wisdom and
2: mm-hmm. peace. Um, it is a great question. I think uh, all of it I can relate to. You know, like we are hardly perhaps the most vulnerable people of all, and yet. Um, so I wouldn't kind of go for peace, you know, yeah. so much, but more. Kind of work with a growing sense of kindness towards yourself with the actual experience you're having because it will mm-hmm. it will dissolve too, but in its own time. But it's how we relate to it right in the moment that's sort of significant. And uh, you know, sort of be with that kind of stuck feeling and the contraction and the difficulty uh, in as kind a way as possible, even if you know loving kindness practice doing it for yourself in that way and. You know, it can often feel selfish, especially if you feel uh, that the difficulties of others are so much more intense than what any of us is likely going to face. And yet, um, we need that sense of respite. We need that sense of refuge. It's sort of, you know, I've often uh, for a long time talked about meditation as a practice of resilience. And this is why. And, And, you know, doing loving kindness practice for oneself or taking a break and enjoying something, it feels so selfish um, and self-centered, but how else do we go on you know, in a, in a steadier way but by having that sense of resource mm-hmm. inside. So you also have to look for the good and it sounds so hackneyed, I know, but um, there's, I have this friend, Barbara Fredrickson, who I was on the stage once with, uh, who's, a, who's a researcher in um, North Carolina who researches positive emotion and uh, she has this theory, it's called broaden and build. It's not positive emotion just to like be um, superfluous and conflict avoidant, but broaden in the sense that when we are locked into fear, locked into greed, locked into hatred, we get tunnel vision. And with something like gratitude for something or generosity or sense of connection, our world opens up, so then we see possible courses of action which we can't... Actually, you know what's really spooky? They've done some research. She uses loving-kindness meditation as, a, as the intervention. That's how we know each other. So they've done some research that if you do something like loving-kindness and you you feel access to more a positive sense, your peripheral vision actually changes. Isn't that spooky? Like weird. Like, whoa, broaden. Um, and then build, it means inner resource. You don't feel so depleted and so overcome right there's something inside that feels like a source of strength or wherewithal so go for it you know we have to take care of ourselves in that sense and uh, remember the good and also if you have those techniques you know use them to bolster your own sense of, of feeling you know better
4: they just feel like words but i guess yeah, the yeah. idea is just to let that be the yeah. keep doing them yeah. with the confidence that The stuck is
2: gonna slowly unfreeze. It, It will unfreeze and even if it feels like just words, it's okay. And I think, you know, like be creative. Like I just I just told someone I think you should be meditating curled up in the fetal position. I can't remember exactly why I said it. But that was my advice and she came back to me and said, That really helped. You know, it's like maybe you're not gonna sit in that pristine posture,
1: you know. Can I suggest something else? Um, Well, maybe you shouldn't get over it too quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I assume you're feeling this way in response to the election. Well, it was only, it's not two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. There's this part in um, Macbeth, do you remember this bit when um, Macduff has just been told that um, your your wife has been murdered, your children have been murdered, your whole household, they're all slain. And Malcolm, who's trying to get him to start an army, says, avenge it like a man. And, And Macduff says, but first I must feel it like a man. Uh, and maybe that. Maybe it's mm-hmm. too soon to act. Be mm-hmm. kind to mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. just feel people. it. Just feel really crappy. That's my <laughs> advice. And what do I know? You know. <laughs> for a while. For a while and then get up and fight. But just yeah. feel it.
0: Yeah. That's part of the kindness.
1: That's part of the kindness, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the miserable part. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Sharon, would you say that uh, an important uh, part of the practice is to do it on a regular basis? I mean, keep up a uh, consistency. Is that helpful in building resilience? Because if you do it ad hoc, you sort of then allow other emotions to, to come in and, and railroad. It. Okay, so, so this is the thing, people. Mm-hmm. Wednesdays at one o'clock, mindfulness meditation here in this room. Sharon's going to be here. This whole series is inspired by Sharon and her work. Uh, she's actually going to be here on the twenty-third, and she's going to approach um, how to deal with the unexpected. All right, so that's that's uh, coming up next Wednesday. Uh, who else would like to ask? A que- oh gosh, we've got time for just one more question. Right in the back in the middle of the house there. Thanks so much, Farah. Yeah.
0: Thanks. I'm going to try and come on Wednesday, which sounds like a perfect theme for me, but I haven't been able to really wrap my head around the election, mostly because I've had two friends who've been diagnosed with cancer, and I've also learned about three deaths within my wider social circle. And so I'm wondering if, Sharon, you can say anything that would maybe provide some resilience in that
2: well, this is also, you know, it's like some periods in life, they're just like, what the hell's going on? You know, it's like, I can remember, because I, I teach um, often over New Year's, I can remember at the end of 2015, and so many people had had such a hard year in the group that I was with, and were saying, God, we can't wait for 2016, <laughs> like, huh, um, you know, things can be really, really hard, and again, you have to take care of yourself, and remember that's how you have the energy uh, to be with somebody else. I mean, when somebody's really ill, you know, uh, you know, I think we tend to be really phobic about saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. But really, no one remembers what you said anyway. They just remember that you showed up in some way. Um, And and that's what's most important, you know, is... uh, And I I would... um, one of the practices that I've had to do with friends of mine suffering in various ways um, has been really the practice of learning just to be there and not try to fix it. Um, I mean, if they ask, you know, then maybe I have some suggestions, but it's maddening, you know, to have a 1,000 people tell you what you need to do. <laughs> um, whether it's psychological distress, which is how I learned it with friends who were really in a bad way, or, you know, physical illness. Um, And uh, to be there and hold a kind of space that's just loving, you know, that's our job in a way. And uh, as much as we want someone to survive or get better or flourish, um, we can be there wholly, fully, and then not not feel, you know, betrayed because we couldn't control it. That's very hard for us. But that's why it's like a practice, you know, is doing it. I'll also say that, um, uh, as just a sort of side note, when uh, people ask all the time if somebody, if you're actually sitting with somebody who's dying, uh, what to say. And uh, from the Buddhist tradition, they say, um, Remind them of the good that they've done. And I always thought that was weird. I thought, that's so weird, like, you know, because then they'll be even more attached to life. Because, you know, you were a great aunt or friend. You were a great friend. Remember when we went to Washington Square Park and we did all those outrageous things? And you really gave me the courage to step out and do it. And uh, and I thought, oh, they're going to hold on. They're going to suffer even more. What a terrible thing to suggest. But, because, you know, that was what I'd been taught. It's what I always tell everybody. And and every single time, people have come back and said to me, it was the perfect thing. You know, it just changed the energy in the room. It was a way of... It's like affirming love. Um, and instead of regret, you know, and things undone and stuff like that. And it really freed the person to kind of move on in some in some way, so... Uh, there are ways in which we, we can learn from one another, you know, just sort of um, at least suggestions for how we can be there
3: you know, in the best way. That's why this series is called Wisdom. Thank you, Sharon, and thank you, Randy thank you so. Much, so much.